going on, guys? Welcome to Real Men Talk. Today, we've got a very special guest all the way from Washington State. Brady Cohn from the Calibrated Conversations uh, podcast is here with us, and we're going to be talking about sexualization inside the church and, and all that good jazz, and we're going to hear his story, and I am so excited for you guys to meet him. Let's get started on Real Men Talk. guys welcome to room and talk so today of course we got kyler what's going on kyler hey guys what's up all right and i would and i'm excited to introduce you brady cone what's going on brady hey how's it going guys so excited to be here tonight yes we're excited that you're on here so uh we're we're just going to jump right into it i don't want to uh uh drag this out too long but i like i want uh i want the people to hear your testimony so tell us let's just start off with tell me your story Cool. So yeah, let's dig right into it. Um, um, I grew up struggling with homosexual issues. And so that's the passion that God has given me right now to help guys and especially help the church navigate sexuality um, because we've all twisted sexuality in some way and we all need redemption and hope in our lives. And these are important, important issues um, because everyone is dealing with them in some way. And so we have to be equipped as the church to walk alongside people. And as I was growing up, I didn't really feel like the church was equipped to do that. I grew up uh, on a small farm in Nebraska, you know, very rural, um, uh, kind of like where you guys live today. And I, I just remember growing up feeling very different than the rest of the boys, looking at my dad, my older brother, thinking that there's something different about me. There's something about their manhood, their masculinity, something about who they are that I just don't fit in. And it wouldn't be until years later when I'd figure out what those differences were. In the meantime, we were a church-going family. We did what all the small town church people were supposed to do. We went to church on Sundays. We prayed before our meals. We had the image that we had everything together as a church-going family, which is so important in a small little town where everyone knows everyone. But there were just some areas of dysfunction in our family's life. And uh, when I was 13, my parents got a divorce. Um, I, that was also the time that I started to really struggle with sexuality. Uh, and, and I started to see what was different about me. I, I started to see that my friends were starting to notice girls in ways that they'd never noticed girls before. All of a sudden, girls went from having cooties to being kind of cute. There was that type of transformation happening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and this was like junior high age. So it's a really horrible time for everyone. Uh, it's awkward and difficult and confusing. And I was even more confused because as my friends were starting to notice girls, I was instead starting to notice boys in that same way. I was starting to notice just this physical and emotional draw towards them. And I was confused by that. I didn't know why I was having those feelings. Uh, And I had enough church background really to know that homosexuality is a sin, but I'd always heard it preached from from some very legalistic, self-righteous atmospheres that made it sound like that is the one unforgivable sin. Yes. So just the fact that I had those feelings consume me with shame and guilt and fear. 
And I thought I have to tell someone, but my family life was a mess because my parents are going through the divorce and I didn't think that I could ever tell them. So I thought maybe I should tell a youth pastor uh, because I was still going to youth group on Wednesday nights. But one night a youth group was a moment that forever changed my life. I'll never forget sitting there as a broken, hurting 13-year-old when the youth pastor said from the pulpit, said, I wish all homosexuals would die. Oh my goodness. That that comic was just like a knife to my chest. I'll never forget sitting there just thinking that that's me. That's me who he's talking about. And so I actually wow. went home that night and I loaded a gun and I was going to end my life because I thought if it's if God wants all homosexuals to die, because that's what I heard the youth pastor say. So he's kind of representing God to me. Uh, then I guess I will. By the grace of God, I, before I pushed the trigger on the gun, I heard my mom walk in the front door. And uh, I came to my senses, put the gun underneath my bed. Obviously, it didn't in my life that night, but it started to put up a lot of walls. I didn't go back to church, didn't go back to youth group. I uh, started to really distrust Christians, especially. And I started to become convinced that I have to put on an image. I have to hide this from everyone. And so I, I started to do that. I became kind of a master at just image. Um, yeah. But I was still struggling so deeply with these desires. And as we keep things a secret, they grow and they swell and they it's kind of like a snowball rolling down the hill and just yes. became bigger and bigger and bigger. And so eventually uh, the, the first step towards sexual addiction was discovering online pornography. And, you know, I grew up this was 20, 25 years ago. So the internet was new. You know, we had the dial up internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're old enough to re- remember that. And I discovered pornography, but it wasn't just pornography. It was gay porn. And I was, my, it instantly captivated my heart. And I'll never forget seeing that for the first time. And I I, I think that's really a moment that I knew that, that, that that's me because it excited me so much. It, it, it brought, it felt like it just brought my heart alive. Uh-huh. And so I was instantly just addicted to that pornography. And for me, the sexual addiction felt like more than just, um, or the porn addiction felt like more than just sexual addiction. I so desperately wanted to belong somewhere. I wanted to feel understood. And in a life where I felt like there's no one in my life who understands what's going on inside of me, I want to be understood. And it felt like I could have that feeling of belonging and being understood in this online world of darkness. And it yeah. was this world of porn, which uh, we we know what that does to people, but it felt like that's the only place where I can go for that that feeling of belonging. Yeah, you know, the, uh, with the uh, with your to to back up just a little bit, okay. Absolutely. So your parents are divorced. You know, you you heard this awful, incorrect statement from your youth pastor. You know, obviously there are a lot of wounds. How much do you think that that played into? when you discovered the the online pornography, the homosexual pornography, mm. how much do you think those wounds played into that that wanting to belong? Yeah, definitely some. And, you know, as I look back now on my childhood, I can see uh, times when I experienced deep woundedness, misperceptions. Um, sometimes a big part of our sin issues is, is not just woundedness, but misperceptions it's like now i know that my dad loved me deeply but he had his own woundedness that didn't allow him to express that in a way that connected to me and um 
And so uh, some of that was just misperception and sexuality is so complicated and there's so many different layers. But many times as the church sometimes pushes people out and puts up some false boundaries of what it looks like to be a man and you have to fit this exact mold of masculinity and your hobbies and your interests. Uh, many times it does push young men towards the gay community because that's the place where their talents and abilities can be accepted and where they can connect with men, where they can have a feeling of belonging. And so I always want to be careful and never blame another person for my sin issues, whether it's my dad or my youth pastor or men in the church. It's like my sin is my sin and I'm the one who will stand before God and uh, give an account for it someday. However, there were unhealthy dynamics in my family and in my church and in just church culture in in our culture in America that helped contribute to some of the lies that I had believed. And so now I can look at Romans 1, where it said that uh, they committed homosexuality after they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped creation instead of the creator. Right. Uh, and it, it was this uh, course that they went down that led to lust for one another and it, then that led to homosexuality. Uh, and God, through his um, uh, grace, uh, has now revealed to me many of those lies that I had believed um, that had led me to that place of desperately wanting to connect with a man in that way. And so now that I'm a believer and have the Holy Spirit in my life um, to illuminate my heart, um, I can see more clearly how all those different experiences um, led me to that place and led me to desperately want to belong somewhere and want to be loved by a man and want to be understood by a man and and want what he has as a man that I don't feel like I have. Yeah, and, and culture, culture plays such a big part. You know, everybody wants to talk about the culture today, you know, and how homosexuality is, is, is so widely accepted. But you know, I, I come from a background also, you know, I can count on one hand how many times my dad has told me he loved me. Mm, right. Yeah. You, you know, I, I mean, I experienced that too, you know, and, but it was, it was the culture, right. You know, I mean, like guys don't, mm-hmm. they, they, yeah. they didn't, they didn't re- relay their, their feelings. They didn't know, you know, and, and I Definitely. always say, you know, my dad come from a very hard background, you know, yes. his, his dad was very abusive. They ended up having to, to leave California and move to, to Missouri overnight because of, of the had the relationship his his mother had with, with his father and it was very dangerous very toxic very very bad you know and so he, he had a very rough upbringing he didn't know how to love and that that carried on you yes, know yes. now don't get me wrong my, my dad loved me you, you know he he cared for me he he showed me in ways you know he always provided he always worked you know different things like that but but he he didn't know really how to convey that in, yes in a in a in a in a nurturing way that, that a young man really needs, you know, Absolutely. A, a, you know, a, a child needs. And so it's interesting that you and I both experienced some similarities there and that didn't lead you to homosexuality, but you had plenty of your own issues 
And so mm-hmm. many times the idolatry in our life, the things that we put our hope in, the the people that we misplace our hope in, which comes out in sexual sin, many times the roots of that idolatry can be the same. It's just the object of our idolatry is different. And so right. um, I, I felt uh, some disconnects and had some unhealthy dynamics and it led me towards finding my hope and my wholeness through this group of people. And for you, it was through a different group of people. Uh, And so uh, when we look at it that way, it's like there's so many similarities between my sin and my desires and a heterosexual man's sin and desires of trying to prove something, trying to have a connection, trying to um, uh, feel loved in ways that we never felt loved. Uh, but somewhere along the way, there's a, our paths diverted to try to find that in a, a different place. Um, and so that's why when I talk about homosexuality in churches, I, many times they have me come to just talk about homosexuality, but I say, we can't do that without talking about sexuality in general, because at marriage and God's designed for that and how we've all twisted it because we've all looked to someone to do something inside of us that they weren't meant to do, whether that's gay or straight or even within our, our heterosexual marriage. And so uh, we we need a bigger picture of God's plan for sexuality and how the human heart can twist that. Um, and when we do that, we see that, uh, man, people with same-sex attraction uh, or guys in the church with heterosexual attraction who are struggling, we're, we're all so much the same. Uh, yes. We, we, we traded the truth about God for a lie, and we yeah. worship created things instead of the creator. Um, yeah. And, and, and we all need repentance and to find our wholeness and our hope and ultimately our identity in Christ. That's but right. You make such a good point with your your father because i think that um there's just there was a generation of men in this country that just were did not have a chance for emotional development and right. therefore they couldn't speak affection and love into their sons um and i think that i i see so many people from the age of like 20 to 45 it seems to be an age group where we grew up with fathers who just had not been equipped to show any type of emotion or affection and and connect with their sons in a healthy way. Yeah. You know, and it's it, it's it's interesting because the church looked at it different, right? You yeah, know, yeah. inside the church I, I I and I say this all the time, but you know, certain sins are more acceptable than others. You know, I I may ha- I I may have had um you know, the struggle as you know, I started having sex when I was 15 years old. You know, and to where the church is like, you know, that's that's not that's not good. But if I would have had homosexual tendencies, it would have been a completely different backlash. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even though they're both sin, they're both wrong. They're both going to send you to hell because it's sex outside of what of God's design. Right? Absolutely. You, you know, yeah. but the go back. It goes back to the culture. The, the way that the church handled it was so poorly. Absolutely. And I, I I see that seep into so many different areas of ministry and church life. And I minister to a lot of parents whose kids are struggling. And it's like this crisis situation when their son comes out of the closet as gay. But at the same time, their other son is living with his girlfriend and not yeah, that big of a deal. Sometimes dad is kind of cheering him on like, oh, go boy, go. 
uh, you know, yep. uh, look at who you, the catch that you got, um, yet so devastated at their other son's sin. It's like, man, like both of them are going to stand before God and give an okay. account. And, you know, uh, um, and, and so I see that attitude, even though we don't say it out loud, I've, I've seen it so much inside the church growing up and still I uh, see it in our church culture at times. Yeah. So how did this, how did this affect you going into your adult years, you know, going into college, going into, you know, uh, th- th- that kind of uh, uh, area of your life? Yeah. So the rest of high school was a lot of confusion and just trying to explore what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my life? And culture was starting to talk about these issues a lot more. And what they were saying was that if you have same-sex attraction, you're gay and that's who you are and you need to accept it. And that's the only way for fulfillment and happiness. And I, I kind of bought into that because it just felt like, well, I guess that's right. I guess it feels like I was just born this way, even though I don't believe that now. Now I can see how much of it was my own heart responding to my circumstances, but it felt like I was just born that way. And so I was though really wrestling because I wanted to know God and I wanted to live up to God's expectations for me. But I was like, how can I do that? Because I felt like God can't love me the way that I am. If the home, if the Bible condemns homosexuality and this is just who I am, then how could a loving God create me in a way that's going to condemn me to hell? That's the question I was asking. And the only answer I could come up to to that question was that either uh, there is no God or if there is, he's certainly not a loving God. Um, yeah. I was also... You know, wrestling with questions of identity of can I ever have a family um, and uh, be married? And by the time I graduated from high school, I was just determined that, you know, I'm, I'm just gay and this is who I am and this is who I have to be. So I went off to college and um, pretty angry and bitter towards God. And um, thankfully, I went to a small college in Nebraska, Shattern State College. And, you know, 20 years ago, uh, the LGBTQ life was much more underground than it is today and less available, but it was still there and I found it. And, you know, um, one of the realities that I, I always hate to share, and I hate that this was true of me, but my experience had been that the gay community is much more loving than the Christian community. And so that's the lens that I was filtering life and faith and and. God through. Um, but then I went off to college and the very first day I met this group of guys, uh, they helped me unload my stuff into the dorm rooms, which I thought was amazing. They invited me to a ministry on campus. And I actually went to that ministry that first Wednesday night because uh, I, I thought maybe it'd be a good place to make friends. You no, know, our culture was so different. This was now close to 20 years ago. And uh, at that time, our culture is still advantageous to identify as a Christian. Uh, and so you wanted people to think that you're a good Christian person. And that's changed so much, obviously, in the last 20 years. Right. Yeah. But I went to the ministry that first Wednesday night, and I was so hard-hearted and bitter that nothing they shared from the pulpit uh, could get through that. But what did change my life were some of the relationships, these upperclassmen men who just started to pursue me, who started to love me, who gave me a community where I could belong. Uh, they, they were so real and open and authentic about their lives and their sin issues that I could see Jesus changing them from the inside out. It wasn't the Christianity where I, I 
grew up in where it was just come to church and put on a mask and pretend like everything is perfect in your life. And woe to those people out there who are sinners. It was this culture of we're all sinners. We all have hope in Jesus. We can be honest and real about our sin, but our authenticity isn't just for the sake of authenticity. It's for the sake of repentance. And because of that, I could see Jesus uh, working in them and changing them from the inside out. And so I had to realize over those two years how God was using them to soften my heart and give me a different picture of Christianity, of Jesus radically changing people's lives. So I went on those two years living a double life, uh, acting out on my homosexual desires and relationships, uh, sexual encounters, you know, um, heavily addicted pornography, but showing up to this ministry on on Wednesday nights and uh, uh, hanging out with those guys um, because there's something about them that was so appealing. Um, but then after my sophomore year is when things really changed. Uh, I, I had a relationship that had really, really hurt me and uh, I, I was feeling brokenness and pain. And I remember walking away from that relationship and and all these sexual encounters, uh, thinking that this isn't doing for my soul what this had promised to do for my soul. This isn't making me feel loved the way that it was supposed to make me feel loved. Uh, and I was so confused by that because, um, and what culture was saying was that if you're gay and you're not happy, what you need is just more of it. You need more freedom, more affirmation, more sexual encounters, more relationships, and it'll all be okay. But the more of it I had, it felt like this hamster wheel that I was spinning faster and faster. And I was just exhausted and hurting. Uh, so I came to a breaking point and I said, I just can't do this any longer, but here I am. I'm hopeless because I put all the hope, uh, under the promise that that life would make me happy and give me fulfillment and it's not. And so now what am I supposed to put my hope in? And so I, I, I came to a place where I was suicidal again. And, um, I decided that before I end my life, I was actually making a plan for suicide. And I said, before I end it, I'm going to tell one of my Christian friends I've been hanging out with about this life I've been living because I don't think they know about it. And, uh, it turns out they knew a lot more than I thought that they did because, you know, typical nosy gossiping Christians, but, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, they, they had some suspicions. But I was going to tell them, and there's going to be affirmation that they don't actually love me. They love the image I've portrayed to them. They love the person they think I am. But if they knew what was going on inside of me, there's no way they'd actually love me. And so I finally got up the courage and I told my friend Lex, and I had the gun loaded in my room. And I said, when he rejects me, that's going to be the affirmation I need. Uh, but I'm still alive. And so obviously he didn't reject me. I'll never forget this moment when he came across the room, gave me this big hug and said, hey, man, it's going to be OK uh, because your sin is no better worse than my sin. And God's grace is sufficient. And we're going to get through this together. Praise the Lord. That's Absolutely. Good. Like God gave him uh, what he needed to say to me in that moment. And he took me to his church that weekend and it was about God's grace. And for the first time, I started to think, I think that God's grace is sufficient for me too. I think that Jesus loves me too. And so because of that, I surrendered my life to, to Christ truly for the first time. And uh, had one of the snot-covered, tear-filled moments at the cross of Christ. 
And, you know, one of the things I realized in that moment was that my faith, when I was calling myself a Christian early on in life, my faith was just my demands on God. It was me telling God, all right, God, I'll follow you, but I demand that you take away my attraction towards men, that you give me a wife, a house that with a white picket fence, the whole American dream. Uh, it was just my demands and instead, I was at a place of surrender where I said, I don't care what it takes. I don't care who I have to tell. I don't care what it costs me. Jesus, I trust that you love me. I trust that your word is true. And so Bro. I surrender everything to you. And that was the moment that my, my life started to change because I, I, I truly had surrendered everything to Christ. That's awesome. Brady, this is so good. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue uh, the the story of after your life was changed. All right, we'll be right back after this. This portion of The Real Men Talk is brought to you by RL Persons Construction. For over 29 years, they've been a regional leader completing projects that include private, municipal, state, and federal agencies of all types. From mass grading, utilities, concrete of all types, to buildings both conventional and pre-engineered steel, you can expect excellence in all aspects of their finished work. Contact them today at 573-686-1323 and let them know you appreciate them bringing you Real Men Talk. If you want to join in the conversation, join us on Thursday nights at 6.30 p.m. We gather with other like-minded Christian brothers to discuss hard-hitting topics that affect men on a daily basis and use a biblical approach to overcome common strongholds that affect our families. We show men the importance of being the spiritual leader of their home and what it means to be a real man in the eyes of Christ. Join us at the Palace of Praise, located at 1400 Herschel Best Boulevard in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. We meet in room 400 every Thursday. Come be a part of the discussion. Hi, honey, I'm home. What's for dinner? Meatloaf. Meatloaf? Ooh, your meatloaf could gag a camel. Excuse me? Oh, wait. Uh, can I erase those words? No problem. Meatloaf? Oh, okay. Do we have any ketchup? Wouldn't it be great if we could erase all of the words we wish we hadn't said? Jensen, I've reviewed your work on the Smith account. Yes, sir. I've worked hard on that, sir. Well, it stinks. Sir? Hold it. Let's try that again. Okay, take two. Good work, Jensen. One suggestion. Try making that report a little shorter. Unfortunately, real life doesn't give us the opportunity to take back our words. Nice party, boss. Thanks, Jensen. But there are sure some weird-looking people here, like that lady. That's my wife. Uh, can we play that back? Sorry, this is live. Listen, Jensen, about that raise you wanted. The Bible says reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How are your words affecting those around you? Another message from Lifeline Productions, the comic strip of radio at lifelinepro.com. The Sounds of Christmas 2023 Christmas Angels is coming to the Palace of Praise December 17th through the 20th at 7 p.m. nightly. Nearly 5,000 people come to see this stunning Branson quality show each year. Come be inspired this Christmas season through the life of nine-year-old Ellie as she teaches about the power of prayer and faith. Here's what others are saying about this show. Wonderful, wonderful. If someone couldn't become a Christian after seeing that, it's badly wrong. It's wonderful. It's my second time seeing it uh, this year. Was a great finale. So we best. Will you tell your friends to come and see this? Definitely. No, I liked it all. The music was great. Uh, the message 
uh, can I think you can relate it to so much going on in today's world. I think the sounds of Christmas is an excellent play and everybody in the city should come out to see it. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> no words. So, no words. I don't know. We had the songs. Movies. We had Jesus. We Movies. had Santa. We awesome. had everything you love about Christmas, huh? Yes, the message was true and real, and it worked. I was a mess the whole, the whole thing. It was just tremendous. Better than Branson. That's why I tell everybody. Performances are Sunday, December 17th through Wednesday, December 20th at 7 p.m. at the Palace of Praise, located at 1400 Herschel Best Boulevard in Poplar Bluff. Contact us at 573-785-4232 or at soundsofchristmas.org. This portion of Real Men Talk is brought to you by The Jewelers Bench. They are a full-service jewelry store offering many styles of gold, silver, diamonds, and gemstones. And all jewelry repair is done in-house so you can get your treasured pieces back as soon as possible. They are also a licensed Citizen Watch dealer. Make sure to visit them today at 1353 North Westwood or call 573-686-1522. Call or stop in and thank them for bringing you Real Men Talk. If you have a question about this week's show, please drop us an email to realmen at palaceofpraise.com. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the show with Anthony and Kyler. All right, so a little bit before the break, we were talking to uh, Brady a, a little bit about his um, testimony and kind of what that meant for him. But I want to elaborate on something that I thought was super important, something that we need to make sure as men that we understand, is that the, the point of transformation, if I understand correctly, was when you allowed it, everything to come from the darkness to the light. When you went f- forward and you were just you were just blatantly honest, like you have to do anything when you have to surrender. Because it's it's important that, I mean, any story in the Bible that we look at, we have to remember that at the point of surrender is where change is made. And until we're ready to surrender, when, when the Lord was ready to surrender his soul on the cross, it was finished. I mean, we, we have to make sure that that's there so at what point i mean i know you you were talking a little bit about kind of when you were ready to commit suicide kind of in your doorway and stuff but what point leading up to that was just your final point of surrender i know you went to church and that kind of stuff but was there just a turning moment where you were just like i i i or the thoughts that came up to this it was like i have to surrender this If, if i don't surrender then i can't do anything else yeah you know um i was at a point where I was willing to surrender all of my life to Jesus, even though I didn't know what that was going to look like with my sexuality. And so I was at a point where I'm willing to do anything for Jesus because I trust that his grace is sufficient for me. No, one thing I talk about a lot in churches is that people who are in the LGBTQ community, uh, they, they need Jesus for a lot more than just their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And that was a key truth for me because um, I, I realized that I need Jesus for all of my life, not just my sexuality. And it always been just my sexuality that I had been a contention with my faith of, I can't serve God or God doesn't love me because of my sexuality. And so I had to realize that, uh, 
Jesus is worth surrendering everything to, Mm -hmm. even though I didn't know what that was going to look like. And I I think that sometimes we don't surrender aspects of our life because we want to maintain control and we want an understanding and we want to understand what is is this going to look like in a month, in a year or 10 years? And, oh, I don't understand. I have no idea how I could possibly do that. So I'm going to hold on to this area of my life. Uh, and, and not surrendered, but I was at a place where I was willing to surrender anything because I'd seen that my ways are foolish and my mm-hmm. ways continue to cause destruction and despair. And so after I gave my life to Christ, I told uh, the rest of my Christian community and they responded with just as much love and grace as Lex had, which I just find so remarkable still to this day, because this was 20 years ago, small town, Nebraska. These were mostly like farm kids. They they didn't know anyone who was gay. They This was not yet a big thing. I had found the underground LGBTQ community, um, but these guys knew nothing about it, yet they knew that God's word has the answers for everything in life. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> so they, they gave me a place where I could uh, be honest and real. And uh, they started to read scripture with me and they, they knew that God's word has the answers. So they started to uh, yeah pray with me, read scripture with me, encourage me. And it was a, a daily battle of wrestling with what is this going to look like? And I, tr- I, I trust Jesus. I, I know Jesus now, but what is this going to look like? Because I was still struggling. It, did, it wasn't like God just flipped a switch and took my traction towards men away. Because mm-hmm. um, that's usually not how discipleship works. And unfortunately, many times um, that's the expectation that the church has built for guys with same-sex attraction is that, mm-hmm. uh, well, if you just read your Bible enough and pray enough, it'll just suddenly all go away. And I don't want to say that God's never done that or that God can't do that, but that's usually not how it works. Um, I felt like that was always the goal the church had for people like me was uh, to convince us to go from gay to straight. But my transformation that summer in my life wasn't from gay to straight. It was from lost to saved. There you go. That is so much more remarkable than just external behavior change that God actually stepped into my soul and he rescued me for an eternity. And and it was out of that that I started to change the way I was living, not just with my sexuality, but in every area of my life that I also was now seeing that I needed Jesus too. And so I, I was still wrestling that summer and I was still wondering, what does this mean for my sexuality, for my future? Um, but I was determined that uh, if I have to surrender my life to God's word, I need to surrender to all of it. I can't just pick and choose. And I, I was still wrestling with, well, maybe I could go on being gay still and and have a long-term relationship. And maybe it'll be different now that I have Jesus as my ultimate, as my savior, as my, mm-hmm. you know, but but maybe I could be happy doing that. But as I looked through God's word and I, I studied God's intent for creation and sexuality and marriage and procreation and humanity, uh, I couldn't find any justification to continue to live that life. And so by the end of the summer, it took several weeks, but by the end of the summer, I was convinced that I can no longer live uh, life as a gay man. Um, that's that's not uh, um, that's not cohesive with God's word. It's not permissible for a Christian to continue to walk in that life. And so, by the end of the summer, I'd surrendered that air in my life to Christ uh, to um, 
And uh, so it was a process. Um, and I, I always tell people that, you know, sometimes someone's sexuality is not the first area that they surrender um, or that they see their need for Jesus because we need Jesus in every area of our life. And so we need to look for areas in people's lives that are softened towards their need for Jesus. And sexuality might not be the first one, but it's like, it's the, it's the one area we seem to want to fix in someone because to us, it seems to be the most glaring, but it took a yes. relationship with Christ and guys helping me fall in love with God's word and see that I can trust God moment by moment to say, I'm going to surrender that area, no matter what the cost is. Maybe I'll be single the rest of my life. Maybe I'll be celibate and that's fine because I have everything I'd need in Jesus and yeah. and that's going to be sufficient. And that was life changing. And so God started taking me down this healing journey of transforming me from the inside out. And a big part of that was giving me a new identity. And so much about LGBTQ is about identity. It feels like this is who I am. And this is what defines me. But God in his grace started giving me a new identity so that my identity yes. in Christ started to outweigh my identity, my sexuality, to Listen. where eventually I said, that's that's no longer who I am. I, I still struggle with it sometimes. I still have to deal with those feelings and attractions and desires, but it does not define me. And I'm so much bigger than my sexuality. I'm so much bigger than the labels society gives me or that Close. sometimes even the church gives me, but that my identity is in Christ not in my feelings and attractions yes. and desires. Yes, that's phenomenal. You know, and, and I'm not just trying to, to church bash or anything, but we're notorious. The church is notorious for wanting to just put out fires, right? Like mm -hmm. we, we see Absolutely. a sin, we just want to, you know, we like, we need to address that sin. We need to address that sin. When really the problem is what you just said, it's our, our identity is not found in Jesus Christ. You know, because when, when we find our fulfillment and we find our identity inside Jesus then the sin has to become submissive to that identity, right? Absolutely. Because, because yes. culture teaches us that we are, you, you know, we are a, a, a sex monger or we are a homosexual or we are, you know, a thief or we are a bank robber or we are, you know, a pedophile or we are, you know, just fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what sin you want to put in there. We are that. Well, when you replace that with Jesus, when your identity is no longer those, but it is Jesus Christ. The sin has to become submissive to the to the Savior. Absolutely, and I think we got there as a culture because we start when we we're not worshiping God. We find our value from within. We find our value by living out whatever we're feeling. So we have these yes, phrases sir. like "Oh, you do you, and you live your truth," and <laughs> our truth comes from within. And we find our humanity by living out and expressing whatever is inside of us. But obviously our world doesn't understand the human heart and their heart is deceitful. And so the whole mantra of follow your heart is the worst thing you could tell anyone because uh, our hearts are deceitful. And uh, God does say he wants to give us the desires of our heart, but we should be following God in a way that he transforms the desires of our heart so that they reflect his will for us and his design for us. So God wants to give us the desires of our heart, but those desires should reflect him and his truth, uh, not, um, uh, you know, what feels like comes naturally from our sin nature. Yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. So, so after the this, you know, of course, you know, healing is not. not I don't ever want to make it sound like it's finished, you know. Yeah. But, but, um, but as as this process has gone, so you've and you've grown. Now, now you're married. And you've got beautiful children. Um, you know, and so mm-hmm. what? What is? What is your your using your past as a ministry? What does that look like in your life today? Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I'm just blown away by what God has done in, in my life. You know, I have this beautiful wife and these two amazing little kids, a two-year-old and a five-month-old. And so we're still in the sleep deprivation stage. Um, yes, so it seems like things have gotten really serious uh, in our house. And so, uh, but it, it's great. But, you know, I went through most of my 20s. Um, just really content with Jesus and thinking I could never be in a relationship with a woman, but that's okay because I have everything I need in Christ. And God was still sanctifying me. Um, uh, it's I, I think we have to have realistic expectations of these issues don't just go away overnight. Um, yet God wants to send us down a process of sanctification that over the course of our lifetime. And so we should be allowing God to continuously transform the inside of us and and reveal the lies that we had believed and deal with our past and our dysfunction. And, you know, he might not finish that work on this side of the cross. And that's that's okay, but we should be moving in that direction. And so mm-hmm. that's what God had convicted me of is that I need to be obedient to uh uh let him sanctify me. And I think our culture struggles with that and the church struggles with that so we have all these false dichotomies and one is that uh you just accept that same-sex attraction is part of who you are and who you have to be and you kind of even celebrate it uh and uh or um you know the the other aspect is i have to pretend like this isn't here uh and that doesn't usually last very long and so it's like no like um and th- then, you know, many people, even the Christian world say like, oh, you can't try to deny yourself of your same-sex attraction or try to make it go away because that means you hate yourself. It's like, no, 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 I don't hate myself. Um, I hate what sin has done to me, but I can allow, I can live in this tension that my heart and my soul does not yet fully reflect the glory of God because I have a sin nature, but I'm going to allow God through his grace to continue to transform me over the course of my lifetime. And I can rest and get, that doesn't mean I hate myself. That doesn't mean I have to wallow in self-pity or that, you know, I have to, uh, you know, uh, just uh, beat myself up. It's like, no, like I, 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 find joy in the grace of God and who he is and the grace that he's given me and the grace he's given me to untwist what my heart had twisted and giving me more and more freedom over the course of my lifetime at whatever pace the Lord deems appropriate for me. And so uh, I, I, I really saw a need for the church to be equipped um, to not only minister to people dealing with same-sex attraction, but also to uh, minister to everyone with sexuality because I'd seen the church is a mess. And uh, I, and I, lo- I had to learn to love the body of Christ. I love God's church. And I had to overcome some wounds. I'd overcome the, the incident with my youth pastor. I had to love distrust towards Christians. Uh, but I, I learned to love God's church because it's his bride who he loves. Yes, and there is no perfect church because if there was, it would be messed up the moment I walk in the door because I'm imperfect too. Mm-hmm. And so I learned to love the church, but yearn for the church to be better. 
to yes. uh, deal with sexuality, to have healthy marriages, to have a healthy singleness. Um, I, I've always said that the church can't have a healthy view of marriage unless we have a healthy view of singleness also. And so um, I started Calvary Ministries to help the church do that, to uh, embrace God's standard for sexuality. And so obviously I speak a lot into homosexuality since that's my background, but I've always said in churches, we can't speak into the, just that one issue. We need to look at the bigger picture of sexuality and how we've all twisted sexuality in some way. And many times I still go to churches where the attitude is, oh, look at the gay community. They're ruining the sanctity of marriage. And I always say, I know it. I'm pretty sure that heterosexuals have done a pretty good job of that over the last hundred years with no fault divorce (laughs) and cohabitation and all kinds of sex outside of marriage and pornography. And so this is really just a capstone on a culture that idolizes people and has given themselves to depravity. Uh, right. and, and we all, the, the transformation starts in here, in the church. Um, we can all be transformed by God's word. And then that gives us a witness to minister to a broken, falling, hurting world. That's right. That's right. You know, when when you have a culture that attaboys, uh, uh, you know, like you were talking about earlier, uh, a man who's sleeping with a, you know, a beautiful woman, you know, we're like, ah, yeah, you know, I, I remember I heard. I heard this guy, and I, and I won't mention any names, but uh, there was there was a man that I knew that was that struggled with homosexuality, right? And and um, and the Lord delivered him of it and all that good stuff. And I remember he had an affair with a married woman, right? Yeah. And and I remember somebody saying, "Ladies, over that gay stuff, right?" And I yeah. and I'm like, "Wait, wait, wait stop, stop right now." You, you know, what I mean? just yeah, like yeah. you're condoning this sin because this isn't there anymore, you know, and and the, like you're completely out of uh, this. This is not right. Absolutely. And so that attitude has done a disservice for everyone. It's it's not creating an environment where people with same sex attraction could uh, actually get help. Um, or be discipled and have the help they need in the church. But it's also done a disservice to all the heterosexual men who were obviously struggling with sin issues and didn't have the discipleship that they needed. Mm -hmm. And so that's not helping them at all. And when I started date, marry my wife, uh, God started just kind of stirring some things in my heart. I was about 30 that I think that marriage could be possible for me. When I started to understand that healthy intimacy is built on a deep knowledge and trust and reliance and commitment on to one another. And then we have healthy desire for intimacy. It's like, I think I could have that with a woman. And I started to date Mary. We were set up on a blind date by one of my seminary classmates. And, uh, and men started to ask men in the church, like, oh, you're dating a woman, so you're attracted to women now. And I just cringe at that and say, no, I don't want to trade lust for men for lust for women. I always say, right. I want to be attracted to one woman, and that's my yes. wife. Uh, yes. And God has built that desire for intimacy between me and Mary uh, in ways that the world says is impossible for uh, someone like me. And I, I feel desire for her in ways that I've never felt for another woman, nor do I want to feel for another woman. And it just, it keeps getting 
better over time and keeps growing over time because it's built on a deep knowledge and trust and reliance and commitment. And those aspects just get deeper and deeper as we move through life and raise kids together and serve our church together and deal with life's up and downs. And we, as we get closer together, then my attraction towards her grows. And so uh, that comment would show me that the church needs a different paradigm for sexuality. Uh, yes, that, come on. that we have not trained our boys well to deal with their sexual dysfunction and their lust. And one area where I've always seen that is that this culture inside the church and you know, most people wouldn't put it in these words, but this is the underlying current is that for our boys dealing with lust and porn, it's like, oh, just don't act on any of your lustful desires. Just don't act on it. And then, uh, you know, someday God will reward you with this wonderful wife and your wedding night will be your crowning moment of glory. And you can unleash years worth of lust and desire. Many times it would just been tarnished by porn. Uh, and you can unleash that all on your wife on your wedding night and uh it's going to be glorious and that attitude has caused so many dysfunctional marriages and women who feel used and abused and um i've said many times that for many men in the church their their sex life with their wife is nothing more but using their wife's body to masturbate because yes. it's this culture of this is all about me and uh, I was permitted, you know, in our church culture um, as a, you know, as a boy to make my sexuality all about me with pornography and lust and um, wasn't given a healthy framework of repentance and examining what's going on in, in our hearts and discipleship so that we can have healthy intimacy and attraction towards our wife instead of using her to fulfill lustful desire. That's right. You know, it's a it's a big struggle even with inside the church. You know, when you talk about pornography, you know, it's like ninety percent of men even inside the church deal with pornography. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, I heard a guy, and he's not as I, I'm sure you know who Steve Prager is, but oh uh, yeah, you know he's Absolutely. he's not a Christian. You know, he's he you know he's he's Jewish or whatever. You know, and um, but you know he's like it's better than them going out and having sex. You know, so he's almost condoning. <laughs> You know, homosexuality in or not homosexuality, uh, pornography, pornography in in the in in the essence of of them not acting on their sexual desires physically. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's like, wait a minute, you, but they're still destroying sexuality. Yes, you know, in and, any form. Yes, and the result of that then is a distorted sexuality that if they do get married is going to be devastating for their wife uh, or it's going to lead them to fornication because it's just it's just building and cementing in those desires. And when yes, we yeah. give in to them through pornography and masturbation, it's just, it, it, the like I said, the snowball continues to grow as it rolls down the hill. And so it's, it's easy. And I've heard that same thing with guys with same-sex attraction. It's like, oh, well, if I, you know, look at porn and masturbate. At least then it it gets out of my system, and I don't go act out on it with a guy. Yeah, it it's is. like okay, I understand that one of those has more earthly consequences than the other, and one of them is involving someone else in your sin in a, a, another way. Yet it shouldn't be either or. Uh, it should be. Right. It shouldn't be. How far can I go? It should be. How holy can I be? Yes. Uh, and and building a sexuality that 
honors God with our singleness. And then if God does lead us towards marriage, um, uh, is building a sexuality that's going to be a blessing to our wife, that's going to love yes. her and serve her and be about marital intimacy and loving and submitting to one another and uh, using sex to to love them and serve them, not um, uh, just fulfilling these desires that pornography has helped grow over all these years. That's right. You know, and, and as men, as men inside the church, we should be cultivating an environment of holiness. Absolutely. Right? You know, like we should be leading young men to holiness, not not a way to not not trying to find some loophole to 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 use to um uh get rid of our 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 sexual desires right or to to act on our sexual desires we're not supposed to be looking for loopholes we're supposed to be cultivating an environment of holiness we're supposed to lead it yes you know our young men our families our wives our our you know our children yes, everybody yes. around us to yes. a, a a standard of holiness and it's yep. it, and, and that starts so with times, the, in the home. That starts with That's discipling right. our kids. And you know, we might not have had dads who discipled us in those ways, but we can break those cycles and we can disciple our kids and engage in our kids' hearts. I many times I have people ask, when should I have the talk with my son? It's like you don't have the talk with your son, you have hundreds of talks with your son. That's right. Uh, about like what are her relationships? What is marriage for? And those are things that kids are starting to notice from a young age. They're starting to perceive it. As soon as kids are perceiving these aspects of life, we should be helping them process what are you observing? What are you seeing? What are you believing about that? And making sure they're believing God's truth. And then as they move through puberty and a lot of their emotions become sexualized, we should be discipling our kids. And what are you feeling? What are is your heart desiring? And, and we apply the truth of God's word to that. We don't just wait until they're 14 and have one talk or you know don't talk about them at all or just the attitude of well sex is bad like and sometimes in the church we don't even talk about that in our families it's just this yes. unspoken like all sex is bad and then um i think you'd mentioned this in your story anthony and then you had yes. sex and they're like oh like this is awesome what, what were they talking about right uh, you know and and so um we have to and then that causes so many issues when you do get married of like, well, I was taught my whole life that sex is so bad. Like, so how am I supposed to enjoy it now? You know? Right. And, yes. and that causes dysfunction in heterosexual relationships and marriages. That's right. That's right. Brady, this is this is so good. And we could be talking about this forever. And that means we're just going to have to have you back on again. Oh, you know, so I would love to anytime. Yes. And so as we begin to land this play, I want, I want people to be able to know you know, what you do, how they can get in touch with you, you know, kind of explain, you know, you've got a phenomenal podcast, um, you, you know, and, and so just, just tell the listeners a little bit about what you do, how they can find you and all that good, all that good stuff. Absolutely. So Calibrate Ministries is the ministry I started about 10 years ago. Uh, our goal is to help uh, the church embrace God's standard for sexuality. I do a lot of speaking. I just do about 40 to 60 speaking engagements around the country a year. I love showing up to churches and being able to invest in their people and give a vision for biblical sexuality and surrender 
and having everyone walk out of the church, having a better picture of what it looks like to live a life of surrender to the Lord. So that's a big part of the ministry. We have the podcast, Calibrate Conversations. And so you can find it on YouTube and all the podcasting apps. Uh, We share, we talk, we share about uh, biblical sexuality, all aspects of culture, um, homosexuality, transgenderism. I interview a lot of people who um, uh, are overcomers like me, whether they've overcome pornography, transgenderism, uh, homosexuality, same-sex attraction that they've never acted on. Uh, we want people to be able to learn from their stories and learn how to walk alongside them. Uh, then I also have a parents ministry. I. I I've always ministered to a lot of parents whose kids are LGBTQ. And many times when parents reach out to me, the attitude is, how can we fix my child? It's like, no, I can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, But I can walk alongside you and equip you with the gospel and minister to you in what is going on in your own heart. And so we have a parents ministry that meets on Zoom on Sunday evenings where parents just love and encourage one another and they pray for their kids. And I know it's so devastating for families when a child comes out as LGBTQ. And so we want to love the parents and minister to them through that. And so check out CalibrateMinistries.com. There's links there to the website to get in touch with me if I can be of of help to you in any way. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. Um, Yeah, and and of course, I had the privilege of being on your podcast. It was phenomenal. Yes, Uh, look look at that episode from August. Um, uh, We talked about biblical masculinity and your story and what it looks like to to be a man and be transformed. And so that was definitely a great episode. Yeah, and you're a great host. And and Brady, you've, you've done such a good job and I love your ministry and it's such needed in our culture today. If you had, just take the last few minutes here just to, if you had something to say to a young man that was struggling, you know, and just with sexuality, it doesn't necessarily have to be homosexuality, just sexuality, you know, homosexuality, heterosexuality, whatever, in general, what, what kind of advice would you give them? Gosh, um, God has something for you so much better than the world has to offer. Uh, the world looks shiny and, and, and the world preaches that you have freedom and living out whatever is inside of you. But the God's God's story is so much better and surrendering to that. And so don't buy into um, uh, the world's lies of your feelings inside are who you are. And they're the foundation of your humanity, but find your identity in Christ. You don't need to hide. You don't need to live in shame. Uh, you can come to the cross as you are, and you can you can step inside the doors of a church and uh, um, and, and surrender to Jesus. Find some godly men who will um, walk alongside you for a lifetime. Uh, not just men who will throw shame at you or false expectations or want to just fix you, but men who will actually walk alongside you for a lifetime and and apply the, the gospel to your life. And that will give you life in ways that the world never could. It'll give you a marriage that is beyond what the world has to offer. It'll give you an identity that uh, doesn't swing up and down with the whims of the world, but is is founded in God's truth. And so let that be what defines you and builds your identity. And it'll, it'll change everything about your life. That was beautiful. That's fantastic. Absolutely. You know, and so guys, listen, you guys have got to go check out Calibrated Ministries. 
Brady.com. This Brady is, does a fantastic job. Uh, I've just the short time that we've got to know him. I feel like we're friends already. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, our, our hearts are, and our ministries align so well. And uh, I, he, he's got my full support. You guys have got to check out his podcast. It's good stuff. And if you're struggling, if you know somebody who's struggling with, with really? sexuality, you know, have him reach out to him. You know, uh, yep. he's he's very wise. He's got a lot of good advice, and um, and so I'm I'm super excited for him to be on here, and uh, and so yeah, you guys got to go check him out. So and of course, if you guys got any questions that you have for us, you know, you always reach out to us at RomanMinistries.us. Uh, you can email us RomanPalaceofPraise.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. You know all the whatever those are social media platforms and and um you know know that god is for you he loves you he wants to see you succeed as a man and uh, as always i want to end in a prayer holy spirit teach us to be leaders of our homes of our communities and of our churches and teach us to be godly courageous men in jesus name amen You've been listening to Real Men Talk, brought to you by Palace of Praise Church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. If you would like to get in touch with us, shoot us an email, realmenatpalaceofpraise.com or visit our website at palaceofpraise.com. If you're a man age 16 and up and would like to be a part of the conversation, join us at the Palace of Praise every Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. If you don't have a home church, consider joining us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Palace of Praise is located at 1400 Herschel Best Boulevard in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. New episodes of Real Men Talk drop every Thursday at 5 p.m. You can find us at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Anchor.fm, Amazon, and more. Real Men Talk is a production of Palace Media Service. Real Men Talk has been brought to you this week by RLP Construction in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For commercial contracting of all types, see RLP Construction today. And by the Jewelers Bench in Poplar Bluff. They are your one-stop shop for all your fine jewelry needs. They also do in-house repair and are your citizen watch dealer. Make sure to thank our sponsors for bringing you Real Men Talk. If you want to join in the conversation, join us on Thursday nights at 6.30 p.m. We gather with other like-minded Christian brothers to discuss hard-hitting topics that affect men on a daily basis and use a biblical approach to overcome common strongholds that affect our families. We show men the importance of being the spiritual leader of their home and what it means to be a real man in the eyes of Christ. Join us at the Palace of Praise, located at 1400 Herschel Best Boulevard in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. We meet in room 400 every Thursday. Come be a part of the discussion.